Good morning and welcome to the Coinbase Institutional Markets Call. My name is Ben Floyd and I'll be your host for today. Today I'm joined by Greg Sutton and George Poropov, two CES sales traders, Sid Shikar, a senior blockchain researcher, and David Duong, our head of institutional research. This call is recorded on Tuesday, 29th November, so please keep this in mind if you're watching it later on in the day. Now to our agenda. We're going to kick off with George, he's going to give us a market update. We're then going to head across to Greg to run through some trade flows. Sid's going to take us through some DeFi, and David's going to finish off with some macro. Without further ado, George, what's going on in the crypto space this week? Thanks very much, Ben. Um, the last seven days were actually the first week that was a little bit more quiet for a change with the uh, Thanksgiving weekend uh, taking up uh, most of it. And we actually started to see the market relax a little bit uh, after an onslaught of uh, negative news and headlines the last couple of weeks before that. BTC and ETH uh, were both up slightly with uh, ETH outperforming actually and holding on to the 073 level on ETH BTC. But uh, other than that, uh, trading in blue chips was actually mostly sideways in a relatively narrow range with uh, volatility significantly uh, compressed. But this is not to say that we are uh, out of the woods yet. For instance, uh, the Genesis situation is still very much ongoing and uh, not resolved, but we haven't heard a lot of news uh, on that in the last couple of days. Uh, but the FTX and Genesis shockwaves have been absorbed. And uh, when the news of BlockFi uh, filing for Chapter 11 hit the tape yesterday, actually, the market um, pretty much barely moved. There were some rumors also going around on uh, Silvergate's exposure to BlockFi, actually, but they've since put out a statement saying that net exposure was less than $20 million. So it does seem a bit like the market is uh, saturated with uh, negative news um, to some extent and would probably take a lot to really move the needle now and uh, result in a further sell-off um, if you look at the news section. Um, on the positive side of things, uh, new funds are still being launched. For instance, uh, Apollo is talking about a new uh, blockchain fund. Binance has been in the press a lot with their crypto recovery fund comprising $1 billion. And of course, Man Group is still pushing ahead with their uh, crypto funds despite the uh, recent market turmoil. George, that's a really good point you make about institutions uh, still being very enthused about crypto. Um, one thing I've wondered about is we haven't heard of any crypto native fund uh, that was massively short the market. Uh, generally, um, you know, when you see large declines in asset prices, whether that be in equities, credit, commodities, uh, some fund usually raises their hand and says, hey, look at us, we were on the right side. Uh, we haven't heard that yet. Now, that's not to say that that fund or person uh, doesn't exist. Um, but it does lead me to believe that maybe uh, the crypto native community generally plays in the long side, uh, which is perfectly fine given you know, where we all believe this space is going. But I think if we have uh, institutions that are very used to playing two sides of a market, you know, like a man group, uh, I think that should add to uh, market efficiency and actually improve fundamentals. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point, Greg. I guess one thing I would just raise with regards to uh, shorting in crypto right now is that the market structure is still very nascent. And what I mean by that is if you were short via FTX, well, you might be on a pretty positive PL there, but that's not going to be worth a whole load. Maybe you're short versus um, a financing a borrow uh, like a Genesis. Uh, but again, that, that's probably not a place where you want to be. CME futures, you can get short, but volumes aren't amazing. DeFi, same, same problem. So 
I feel like while I think a lot of the folks that have been in crypto are definitely on the more bullish side and, and don't want to be short this asset, I think the market structure to get short in size is probably not where it needs to be. And that's obviously changing and in time that will improve. Uh, and I 100% agree. I think having people with more naturally opposing views is, is generally healthier for markets. And I think we've mentioned before, there's a ton of studies that have supported that in the past as well. So, so George, it's, it's nice to see some stability in the market for a change. What, what about the altcoin space? Like, what are the themes over the last week? Yeah, so uh, in the altcoin space, I think the overarching theme post FTX uh, remains DeFi and DEXs uh, specifically. Uh, DeFi has really continued to operate uh, flawlessly throughout all of the turmoil that the market has seen. And uh, I think you can really see that in the performance of DeFi Pulse Index over the last uh, seven days, so we're up 10%. And um, my personal view is that we'll probably see DeFi and uh, especially uh, DEX tokens um, potentially outperform over the uh, medium term. And I think um, certainly is this expectation that over the medium term, um, trading on DEXs will um, increase significantly, which is also, um, by the way, part of the bull case for ETH, because ultimately this will make ETH uh, more uh, deflationary. One example to flag here is Curve, which was actually up more than 50 percent over the last week uh, on the back of what looks like a short squeeze after getting battered by outflows and then shorted by Curve borrowers from uh, Avi. Uh, so very curious to hear uh, Sid's thoughts on this, actually. Yeah, thanks, George. We'll cover this a little bit more in, in depth later on in the call, but just a high-level overview of what happened was uh, basically a lot of action went on in Ave. Actually, Ave was a central battleground where there was a tremendous curve uh, borrow position, and uh, the crypto Twitter and uh, uh, you know overall DeFi community saw this position and acted on it, effectively squeezing, short squeezing the the borrower. And in tandem with this, Curve also released plans for a new stablecoin, which kind of uh, allowed the rally to sustain. So we've also got Tamil Green as well. There, Ape and Doge up almost forty percent each. What's what's going on there, George? Yeah, so um, I guess outside of the sort of bigger narrative um, surrounding DeFi and DEXs, you do have smaller stories in specific points. So in Doge, uh, we had uh, Elon publish his Twitter 2.0 plans, which again, like had some speculation that it could include some form of Doge integration, potentially for the payment side of things. So I think that was the main driver behind Doge. And then... Um, Ape, um, you mentioned also a big outperform over the last seven days. So that's uh, rallying pretty much on the back of um, mentions on Twitter increasing and let's say social uh, sentiment improving a little bit on Ape just on the back of uh, staking, which should be launched uh, in about two weeks time if we don't get any uh, further uh, postponements. That's a hell of a move, 40% on the back of uh, a staking release uh, based announcement. Was there any idea about what the yield might be on that? Yeah, so I've seen a couple of different estimates on Twitter, nothing, um, let's say, firm, but uh, I've seen estimates in the range of 25 to 30% um, annualized. But uh, I'll guess we'll have to see like how exactly that's that's going to play out. And again, this, this has been postponed a number of times. I think I've seen some reports, you know, going back to earlier this year that this should have been actually launched over the summer, uh, which obviously hasn't materialized. So uh, let's see if that um, that's now going to going to happen actually in two weeks or whether we'll, we'll see further postponements. It's funny, I, I feel like if you were just looking at that without knowing what had gone on, I would have assumed it's a huge amount of building to do the metaverse and kind of where a lot of their valuation was because this, this token was trading north of $20 when it was launched and 
it's obviously come down a long, long way. But uh, yeah, I guess there's there's obviously still some people super excited about it. Yeah, one other thing to add here with the Ape ecosystem is uh, the Yuga Labs team, the creators of the Board Ape uh, project, uh, teased the launch of a new set of NFTs actually called Mecha Apes, um, which obviously is, uh, are, is receiving tremendous excitement from the community uh, as it kind of is the launch of a new set of uh, NFTs, which has been much awaited uh, as they are kind of in parallel building out the metaverse that'll house all these apes. The Mecha Apes are promising to be you know, interesting set of art that builds on top of the previous collection of board apes and mutant apes as well. Being, being a slight cynic here, is there, I guess they're, they're creating new assets that, that have additional value. Uh, is there, is, I feel like there's almost in a way not that much difference to, I guess, some of the other projects we've seen that just kind of create money out of thin air. Yeah, it's, it's a good point to, to make. I mean, in terms of like NFTs, I think uh, there's a trade-off here between like scarcity and then also, uh, especially with the metaverse angle, the interrelationship between these characters, because uh, effectively, usually the way that they've launched these assets is that previous owners uh, get to create these assets either by consuming some potion or some some sort of element in the in the in the ecosystem. Uh, so it kind of does reward current asset holders, whether they be ApeCoin holders or NFT holders as well. So it reinforces the, the loyalty here. So moving to other bits of news here, um, we can't uh, spend a week without mentioning uh, FTX. There's still a lot going on there. He's going to be appearing, appearing at the DealBook uh, event tomorrow. Greg, curious for your thoughts on that and kind of any new news you've, you've heard this week on that. It's super interesting that Sam will be speaking uh, at the New York Times conference. New York Times obviously getting a lot of flack for, for hosting him. Um, you know, from their perspective, and depending on how the events run, you know, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. And uh, as long as they don't, you know, go too easy on them, you know, who knows, we could learn something uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting Sam is still doing public appearances. There's also a House Financial Services Committee hearing on the 13th of December. Unclear who from the industry is going to be there, um, but I'm sure uh, there's been requests for, for SPF to be there. And in addition, he's also doing a Twitter space later on this week, and it's getting a lot of um, interest, unsurprisingly. So yeah, interesting to see how that plays out, but keep an eye on Twitter to, to see, uh, and Bloomberg, et cetera, to see what people are, are seeing there. Um, BlockFi bankruptcy came this week. Greg, has, has that had any impact on the market at all? No, not really. I mean, it was very well telegraphed. And, and in fact, you know, BlockFi has kind of uh, been in trouble uh, since the summer. Um, so I think them finally filing um, was, was expected and we didn't see much price action uh, or flows off the back of it for that matter. Interesting. And actually just on the, on the, hit the tape relatively quickly afterwards, but Silvergate came out and said they had less than $20 million of exposure to BlockFi deposits. And it feels like with this contagion, people are just having to be very, very quick with coming to market and letting people know what exposure they, they have or, or haven't got uh, as a result of these chapter 11 uh, filings. And then DCG and Genesis, another, it's obviously we had Thanksgiving. We haven't had a ton of new news out of that, but that is something that's still overhanging the space. And Really just keep an eye on, on Twitter and, and kind of news sources to see what happens there. I think there's probably a lot going on behind the scenes. Um, and hopefully that kind of comes out in, a, in a, as positive way as possible for the industry. I guess, I guess one thing I, I just want to chat through, and I had a few conversations with, uh, with clients this week about, is mining and potential for some of the uh, loans made against mining equipment and just general stress for Bitcoin miners with Bitcoin trading sub 20k for quite some time and, and maybe it not being quite so profitable 
Sid, I know this is an area that you've looked at a little bit. Like, curious to hear your thoughts here. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting topic. Um, so earlier this month, actually, the Bitcoin mining hash rate hit an all-time high. It's been on a tremendous increase over the course of this year. The Bitcoin uh, hash rate decreased by 15%. So we're seeing a pretty steep decline uh, now, just over the past couple of weeks. Uh, and one interesting thing to note here is uh, the ecosystem of mining is actually looks significantly different now than it did, you know, uh, just even over a year ago with uh, a key US-based mining pool, Foundry USA, making up 25% of the hash rate. Um, and, and overall mining metrics are a pretty complicated subject because uh, oftentimes they have, they have a kind of lagging effect to both a, a equipment prices, electricity costs, and then also you know um, Bitcoin price as a whole, right? So uh, curious to hear other folks' thoughts on this as well. Greg, that's an area that you've kind of looked at a little bit. Is, is there like a, a, a break even or should we be thinking about a level um, that Bitcoin miners are mining and aren't mining? And I appreciate we may not have the, the numbers there, but how should we be thinking about this? Yeah, so um, obviously Bitcoin miners should turn these things on uh, when it's profitable. Um, now there is the all-in cost, which is the cost of electricity, the cost of you know employ people and the cost to uh, pay for the actual rigs. And we don't know where that is. We've seen some numbers as high as 30,000. Um, but then we would expect mining rigs to come offline when Bitcoin drops below the marginal cost of production. Um, so that's the basically just your electricity and, and maybe some uh, minor labor costs. Now we've seen numbers there in the range of say, you know, I've seen them as low as 9,000 up to uh, 18,000. And we're kind of in that range now with Bitcoin. So I think it makes sense that we're starting to see uh, some rigs come offline because again, we're getting below the marginal cost of production for certain miners. Yeah, I'm interested to see how these next few weeks play out and, and I guess the rest of the quarter uh, and into Q1. With, with, with mining prices down here, there's, there's gonna be a lot of people that are probably burning through cash piles that they had. And interesting with a number of these miners public there's probably some work to be done there you probably kind of look through some of the filings and figure out exactly where these companies are from a uh, from a cash flow perspective but um but yeah just moving on now to trade flows greg what has been happening this week so volumes on exchange have declined some that was partly due to the u.s holiday partly due to the fact that everyone is waiting uh for this contagion to spread and yes uh you know as we talked about earlier we did see the BlockFi bankruptcy yesterday, but that was very well telegraphed. Uh, we knew that was coming. And so we didn't see much price action um, or flows on the back of that. The Genesis situation is obviously ongoing, uh, but still uh, not a lot of new news there either. So for the most part, the market just remains on edge. The asset mix we're seeing is pretty typical uh, with BTC and ETH dominating flows. Doge has seen an uptick in interest on exchange. Now, as George mentioned, that token rallied on speculation that it may be integrated into Twitter as some sort of payment system. Um, now, we've mentioned this before. Doge is really a retail story. We haven't seen much flow either way uh, on our desk. Interestingly, if we look at client segments on our desk, uh, both traditional asset managers and traditional hedge funds have turned net buyer last week. This is the first time we've seen this in, uh, in really quite a few weeks. Uh, and I think there's a couple things going on. It's 
people putting on uh, what I would call very small long positions and also quite a bit of short covering. Uh, as we mentioned last week, we've seen a big uptick in interest to short and the market hasn't moved down. Uh, so I think people are, are starting to close those out. Interesting. Well, I will, uh, we'll see what the rest of December has to bring from a, from a volume perspective. Now, Sid, moving on to kind of DeFi Web3, you mentioned Curve earlier on, obviously a big move this week. What, what else has been happening there? We'd love to learn a little more. Yeah, very interesting set of events uh, occurring over the past week, uh, especially regarding uh, Curve. So what actually happened uh, to go into more depth was uh, the exploiter of the Mango protocol, if you remember a few months ago on Solana, tried to do a similar type of exploit uh, on uh, targeting Curve and Aave. Um, so what happened was uh, his strategy, uh, this, this individual, most, his name is Avi Eisenberg, which he actually came ahead and said he was the one uh, conducting this, um, was to effectively short, short CRV uh, on some uh, a centralized exchange uh, and then borrow CRV on, against USDC on Aave. And, uh, and then he sold uh, this, this borrowed CRV for max slippage on, on DEXs, causing the price of CRV to plummet. And, uh, and then effectively this manipulates the price of CRV uh, to, to a certain extent. And therefore his position, um, he, could, he could withdraw USDC collateral from his position and then also close a short uh, elsewhere, um, effectively leaving Aave with bad debt that they would have to re rebuy. Uh, ultimately, if this had worked out, um, Aave would have been left with several million dollars of CRV of bad debt that they would have to buy on chain on DEXs like Uniswap, where there's very little liquidity to buy CRV. So resulting in a lot of slippage for their buys and uh, leaving the protocol in a, in a pretty big hole. Uh, ultimately, this didn't end up happening uh, due to the power of on-chain uh, data. Uh, a lot of crypto Twitter and the, and the crypto DeFi community at large noticed this large borrow position and what this uh, uh, individual is trying to do uh, and, you know, called it out on Twitter and uh, effectively initiated a short squeeze on, on this individual buying up CRV. Uh, and at the same time, interestingly, uh, the, the Curve team dropped plans for a new stablecoin design uh, that they had been thinking of. It's called Llama um, and uh, effectively stands for like lending, liquidating and automated market maker algorithm. Um, pretty complicated. Uh, it's, a, it's a good read for a, for a Sunday read, their white paper, very interesting stablecoin design, but this effectively uh, sustained the rally even further. Um, so Sid, this sounds pretty uh, supportive actually for decentralized exchanges in terms of the of DeFi in general because I feel like this has been continually stress test by events like this. And if anything, it keeps coming out stronger. I mean, what's your take on this? Yeah, definitely agree. Uh, Aave kind of stood the test uh, pretty well uh, this time around. They were left at the end scenario was they were left with $1.6 million in bad debt, which was you know, completely covered by the Dow. Uh, on the flip side, there's something to be said of community-driven efforts here. It's not strictly just the protocol and the tech itself working, but it's also uh, a diehard community of, of observers, of active participants who look on chain and act accordingly uh, because it does require some coordination to make sure that protocols remain resilient. It's not just that the contracts are you know, infallible. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it's a combination, I think. So just to see, they, they tend to make some changes post um, over the last few days around what tokens you can borrow against and some of the limits as well. It's quite nice to see this evolving in, in real time. 
uh, it gives me confidence that they're, they're kind of building something kind of long-term and sustainable. 100%. Um, I think it's we're seeing this trend across lending markets in DeFi, especially with liquidity being more thin. It's actually a little easier to kind of manipulate prices of, of uh, thinly traded tokens. So, uh, you know, veering towards safety in, in these kind of markets is, is a good sign. Yes, it is DeFi. It's like testing in fraud uh, still in, in, some, in many ways. Um, David, on to you. What's going on in the macro world? I would say that the most important thing that I've been paying attention to is the fact that the three-month, 10-year has inverted and has cons uh, stayed consistently inverted since November 8th. Uh, that's a big deal, predominantly for economists, because we've seen from the trading side of things that the two-year, 10-year inverted, you know, probably around like June, July, and it's kind of stayed there. But, you know, there's about 50 years of economic history that supports the idea that when we see the three-month, 10-year invert, then a U.S. recession is forthcoming. Uh, now, the timing of that is still uncertain. That could be anywhere from 100 days to 400 days. Uh, so we could start in April 2023, but equally, it could be, you know, March 2024. Um, and I think this time around, too, we have to kind of keep in mind that there are a lot of buffers, both from the employment side, because if you look at things from, you know, 2001 or 2008, at that time, we had something like 4, 4.4 million, uh, actually, job openings outstanding compared to now, which is upwards of 10 million. So there's 1.9 jobs for every person who wants a job. Now, some of that isn't necessarily a one-to-one -one kind of uh, uh, comparison because maybe you have a job in Nebraska, but you live in New York and you can't quite move. There's gonna be elements of that. But for the most part, this provides pretty good padding for, uh, for the uh, US economy. The other thing too is we still have some of the money coming from the stimulus of 2020, 2021. Um, I think people have, of course, eaten through that quite a bit, uh, but I think we're still in the last bit of that, and that also provides some buffer, I think, for the uh, issue of, of a potential recession. The other big story this week has been what's been going on in China. Uh, obviously, there have been protests that I think kind of shocked people in the ways of how, how vocal people have been. Because typically, uh, you would think that the Chinese government has been able to kind of step in and kind of stem things like that. But here, you're seeing people not just saying that they want to stop the COVID zero policies of the government, but also to have President Xi Jinping actually step down. Um, so it's, it's fairly alarming. And I think this has kind of hurt market sentiment somewhat. David, back to the yield curve for a moment. Um, you know, now that we have this very important inversion uh, that has always, uh, as you said, meant that a recession is on the horizon, I'm wondering, could this time be different? Uh, could the bond market be signaling that it believes that the Fed is actually going to get inflation under control and that yields further out um, will actually be lower uh, than we think they may be? Well, I very much do think uh, markets and economists actually believe that inflation is coming back. Like, I don't think there's a question here about whether inflation has peaked. It's really a matter of what level inflation is going to. And you're right. I think that expectations are that two years out, three years out, we're probably going back to somewhere around the 2% range. But you bring up a really good point about what the Fed is going to do and how it could actually break things insofar as engineering a tougher recession by continuing on the current hiking path, because there's a very strong dichotomy. Like, like you, we said, economists pay attention to the three-month tenure, but Powell has been very clear that that's not what he's looking at. 
his metric is based on the three month, three month forward. I, I think 18 months out, um, which is a metric that hardly anyone really uses, but there hasn't been any inversion on that metric. So from the Fed's perspective, they need to keep hiking. Uh, so even though we're still looking at this and saying, man, the economy is going to get softer. I think that this means the Fed needs to kind of change its stance at some point. I think the Fed believes that the persistent elements of inflation are there and the need to continue on this trajectory. So if that's going to be the case, I think the markets are seeing things very differently than how the Fed's uh, seeing things. And that means that very likely the Fed's going to remain on this hawkish path, which is going to catch a lot of market participants off guard. Yeah, it's interesting looking at this on a slightly more relative basis. The dollar has been super strong all year. We have a couple of large asset managers calling for the potential end of dollar strength as you have a better sense of what the rate path looks like going forward. Both JP Morgan Asset Management and Morgan Stanley came out yesterday saying that dollar strength may be done for the time being. It's unclear what's going to happen there, but we will likely hear from more Fed governors ahead of the Fed meeting on the 13th and 14th of December. So keep an eye on the tape for that. And also on the 30th of December, we have the House Committee hearing, hopefully from Sam Bankman-Fried at uh, the XEO of FTX um, and others that have been involved in that, including potentially Binance. But until then, thanks for dialing in and good luck out there. Let's hope next week is slightly easier than last. To view this episode and learn more, check out the Research Hub and follow us on Twitter at Coinbase Insta. Both links can be found in the podcast description. All statements and analysis correspond to the date of this recording. This recording is only intended for sophisticated investors. This recording should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Coinbase nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this recording. The views expressed in this recording are not necessarily those of Coinbase. Coinbase is not providing any financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations. The receipt of this recording by any listener is not to be taken as the giving of investment advice by Coinbase to that listener.